as maybe listening to it um, like podcast style, but yeah, you could, if you needed that, I could, I could kind of record it, or I could come to your house and give you a personal sermon if you'd like that too, but I did forget to record, so I am, I am recording now, so we'll, we'll make sure that that happens. Um, but if you missed last week, um, I'm actually going to go into this, this story of this Canaanite, this Syrio-Phoenician woman, part two. Because um, last week was, we had like this, we had like kind of this, this big grand view picture of, of the Canaanite woman. We, we talked about, um, we talked about those passages in, in Deuteronomy and Joshua when as they're kind of moving into, when the Israelites in the Exodus through the wilderness, they're moving into the promised land, God gives them that instruction to show no mercy, right? Don't show mercy to these people. Move in, strike first, strike hard, right? Sweep the leg and show no mercy. And then when um, they move in, they do that, right? And then you hear this about in the New Testament, then Jesus goes into the same region of Canaan, um, in Matthew, she's called a Canaanite woman. It's the only time in the New Testament that word is used. He's doing this ministry to this woman in this kind of area. Um, and the woman comes to him and says, you know, have mercy on me. So it's this real dichotomy between this kind of show no mercy in the Old Testament and then this woman crying for mercy in the New Testament. Um, and we took kind of a bigger piece of theology, right? Which I think we kind of used a little bit of a, a, a light switch analogy in which we talked about that kind of Old Testament, New Testament, one of the classic theological issues, which is in the Old Testament, you kind of have this God who is seemingly kind of angry, vindictive. Um, he, you know, he's very biased towards the Israelites, show no mercy, and then in the New Testament, you have this God of compassion, of love, of kindness, right? And it's, it's this real dichotomy. It's just like, okay, which, which one is which, and how do we understand that? Um, there was that quote by Brian McLaren that we used um, that was an observation to kind of help us understand, maybe it was an entry point into understanding this really difficult theological issue, say, between the Old Testament God and then the New Testament Jesus. Um, Phil had a great kind of comment during... Uh, during our discussion time, when Phil, you just kind of said that God's just beyond us. He's the author of life and death. Uh, and sometimes we just, that's just what it is. I mean, it's, it's not an answer that we can, you know, firmly nail down in our minds, but sometimes we just have to kind of approach it with that. So this was a little bit of the, the, the big thing last week, right? Is this Canaanite woman, the Syrian woman comes to Jesus begging for mercy, right? And we link that all the way back into the Old Testament, um, I'm going to link back a couple more weeks um, to October 1st, I believe. 15, 18, October 1st. And we talked about fences. Um, we talked about the clean and the unclean. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law come to Jesus because the disciples are washing their hands with unclean hands. And they're like, how can you do this? And then Jesus kind of gives them that rebuke. And he says... Um, he says, you guys have let go of the commands of men. You're holding on to the traditions of the elders. And then he gives them that example of, of honor your father and mother and their, you know, all these sorts of things. Um, and one of the things that we kind of talked about with the fences is the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were kind of fencing themselves in, right? And that gives them safety um, at the cost of exclusion. They had built all these fences. And one of the things that really gets Jesus in trouble 
um, and really kind of irritates the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the chief priests is that he just decides to do ministry, so to speak, outside of the fence, right? The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they have said this is, this is the boundaries of what we deem acceptable, of who's in, of who's out. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law say that. And Jesus is like, eh, I don't, I don't really like that. So he just ends up doing a lot of ministry, so to speak, outside of the fence, right? And again, as he's in this region of Tyre and Sidon, this is outside of the fence. These are, this is Gentile area. We're going to read at the beginning of chapter 8 as he moves into the Decapolis. Again, Gentile area, right? This is not places that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders would want to go. And Jesus just begins kind of doing ministry in these places. Um, and so it, it's just kind of, and you know, just kind of showing the, the links as Mark's developing this gospel, as Mark's showing this gospel. So this week I want to go back in, into these two texts, and we're kind of pulling from Matthew and Mark. Let's read them again, page 686. Um, we'll read, we'll read, um, let's read the, the Mark one right now, and then we'll come back and read the Matthew one, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk, in Mark, we have this, this major theme of kind of seeing and hearing that we've been talking about, and then in Matthew, we're going to see what's a teaching and a challenge. Those are the two, the two kind of movements I want to make this morning with the, with the sermon. So let's go back and read the Mark passage, 24 through 30. Can I just have, this a short one, can I just have one person read that one? left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as he heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Am I going to? Just read the whole thing. Oh, okay. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon and the demon gone. Okay, good. Um, so again, what I want to do is I want to look in this kind of, this, this theme that's developed all throughout Mark. And we've been honing in on this a little bit, uh, kind of thinking about this, this idea of seeing and hearing, right? And then we're going to switch gears a little bit and we're going to read the Matthew version and we're going to think about the teaching and the challenge that's, that's kind of laid out. So this kind of uh, theme that's been, uh, that's, that gets developed in Mark is this kind of idea of seeing and hearing, right? Seeing and hearing. And it really kind of begins in earnest in chapter 4. In chapter 4, Jesus begins teaching on parable, right? Um, listen, there was a farmer who went out and sowed his seed, right? And that's that whole parable of the sower, this farmer who kind of throws seed in different places, the, the rough soil or the rocky soil, the path um, amongst the weeds, and then the good soil, right? There's that parable of the soil. And Jesus begins by saying, listen, right? And I, I keep thinking about this. Imagine... Imagine, sorry, imagine Jesus came in and sat on this, this, this morning, and he looked at us and he said, listen, right? And our ears would, like, if it was Jesus himself, like, our ears would be like, 
okay, well, what's he going to say now? Like, I really got to listen, right? Jesus begins this parable by saying, listen. And then he uses this phrase. He says, he who has ears to hear at the end of the parable, let him hear. Um, he uses this kind of uh, this kind of mysterious phrase where he's, he talks about people being ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, right? Why he uses parables and there's some, some language behind that and some understanding behind that. Kind of in the midst of all these parables, he again says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear, right? He, the woman with the issue of blood, she comes to Jesus because she hears about Jesus, right? She's heard about Jesus. Um, the disciples, as they're on the boat, they see Jesus as a ghost, right? Um, in the clean and the unclean passage, right, Jesus calls the people, the disciples to him, and they, he says, listen to me, again, listen to me and understand, right? So there's all this language, and again, this keeps going and going and going. There's all this language about seeing and hearing and listening and understanding, right? And it's, it's really this kind of... Um, this kind of theme that Mark is developing. And I used this quote last week with, um, by Tim Gombas, and I think this is so important, and I just kind of really highlighted this middle section, right? As we've noted previously, Mark is developing this dynamic, this seeing and hearing dynamic, and he's confronting his audience. That's you and I, and whoever happens to be reading this book. He's confronting his audiences with the question of whether they are faithfully paying close attention to Jesus so that they truly understand his identity and the nature of, this, uh, of his kingdom. Because the disciples are not getting it, right? The disciples are not the ones who are on the inside. And Mark is almost illuminating that, you know, again, those who think they are the insiders, those who think they are, are there, um, are, are the ones who really aren't getting it, right? And there's that pattern that confronts us a lot of times and we have to do some self-examination because we sit here and we go to church and we wear our nice clothes and we think that we're getting it and all those sorts of things. And it's almost as if the gospel is coming to us again and saying, are you really seeing? Are you really understanding? Are you really paying attention? Right? And we're confronted with this again and again as we, we read these passages. Okay? So, again... Here Jesus is, right? He's doing ministry and he's, so to speak, outside the fence, right? He's outside that fence that we talked about. He's with a woman, again, we talked about this last week, who's a Canaanite, right? The Canaanites um, was that land that was supposed to be conquered, right? That was, the land of Canaan was good. The Canaanites were not so good, right? She is a Greek. She is a Syrio-Phoenician. She is a woman, right? She has a daughter who is demon-possessed, right? I would say this. All signs as Jesus encounters this woman point to her not seeing, right? That she is going to be one of the outsiders. That she is not going to get Jesus' message. She's not going to be able to see the kingdom. Like, like how, you look at all these things. Like, how could she, right? Okay, this is, I think this is a silly story, but this might help illustrate. When I was a kid, and I was like, 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. Yeah, I was a, you guys know I love cycling. I was a mountain bike racer back then too, as a young kid, mountain bike racer. Um, me and my buddies, we had stickers made, like little stickers made that said, in the loop. Because we were the ones that were in the loop. You know what I mean? Like there's other people out there, they don't know what they're doing, those 
idiot mountain bikers. No, no, no. Us. We were in the loop, right? We knew who was in and who was out, right? Um, and it, I just think about this, right? Because, again, we all have these little, maybe you have a job or an activity or a passion or a hobby or an expertise, um, and you can spot the outsiders. You know what I'm saying? Like, you kind of know, like, who's in and who's out. I was thinking about, I don't know, I thought about you. I know you like to play golf. You know what I mean? Like, if you showed up and somebody's wearing Birkenstocks, has, like, three clubs, you know, and just kind of, you're like, who's this outsider? You know what I mean? Or, you know, with the teachers, you know, if somebody comes, is new to a teaching position and they don't even know what an IEP is, the teachers would be like, like, kind of, who's, who's there? This person is not in the loop, right? So, again, all signs point to this woman not being in the loop, right? This is the, all the signs point is like, no way is this girl going to get it, right? Jesus is going to use this parable on her. He's going to call her a dog. She's going to bark back at him and, and, and fight back. And what happens is, in this great twist, right? One of the great twists of the Bible she ends up being the heroine, right? She ends up being the hero. Um, and I'm going to share a quote from Tim Gombas about this. She ends up being like the one in the gospel of Mark who gets it, who sees and who hears, right? Who understands, who perceives. Um, now, Get him. Get him, Mom. I have a belt right here, too, if you want me to take that off. Careful, it's being recorded. And he was down the line like, what did that guy um, You know, now I want to I wanna get to, again, Jesus is going to refer to, again, a, a lot of the troubling part of this passage is Jesus says, you know, he in essence calls her a dog. Right? I want to get to that in a second. That's what we're going to talk about in the second part. But what I want to point out here is, uh, is, is just how well, like, every commentary, everything I read about this woman, they praised her, calls her the heroine, they praise her effusely, they just, they just lift her up and, and just say, this woman is like the zenith of, of the book of Mark. So, Here's one of the commentators. I got a couple quotes. Sorry for a little bit of a heavy quote. Um, James Edwards says that she answers Jesus from within the parable. Right? She takes the parable that Jesus says, um, I've, come over, I've come only for the lost sheep of Israel. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Right? That she answers Jesus from within the parable, that is, in the terms by which Jesus addressed her, indicates that she's the first person in the gospel to hear the word of Jesus to her, right? Jesus speaks a parable to her. She gets it, and she's going to respond within the parable, right? A guy named Jason Meyer uh, says it like this. He says, this woman is the first example of someone who actually understands a parable and responds rightly. No one else has really understood Jesus' mission. She understands it, after hearing one sentence in the form of a parable, and not only does she understand it, she does not argue against it. She says, I recognize that I don't have a place at the table until later because I'm not from Israel. I accept that. But I see something else. This is a feast. 
There is more than enough for Israel. I am a puppy in your story, and I know that puppies also eat from the table when the crumbs fall. Let's take a break here as we have the parade. <laughs> So she is the one that she answers kind of within it. And again, kind of Meyer, right? She's, he's paraphrasing, you know, how that response would look. And then Tim Keller had this, again, as, as he thinks about her, he says, in Western cultures, right, the way that she responds, right? He's talking about her response. In Western cultures, we don't have anything like this kind of assertiveness, right? We only have assertion of our rights, our individualism standing on our dignity, our goodness, our individualism. We have rights as we understand. This is what I'm owed, right? Our inalienable rights based on our own kind of, on our own dignity rights, right? He says, but this woman is not doing that at all. This is a, what he calls a rightless assertiveness. Something we know little about. She's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve based on my goodness, on my inclusion, right? She's not saying that, which is what we have in America and Western. She's saying, Lord, give me, listen to this, Lord, give me what I don't deserve based on your goodness, and I need it now. Isn't that beautiful? Again, everybody just says how wonderful, how smart, how intelligent. She's, this is, this is, what I, this is where I got this word, heroin. Gamba says, we would do well to keep in mind Mark's narrative moves. He draws a connection between this episode and the previous one in which Jesus confronts the Pharisees for their corrupted conception of the kind of people whom God approves. This woman is the heroine of Mark 4 through 8. She's the model of a cultivated heart, the kind of person who sees Jesus clearly, adopts a posture of humility toward him, and responds faithfully to his word. She stands at the very center of the kingdom of God, upsetting first central cultural expectations and offending the Pharisees' conception of who belongs and who does not. And, ladies and gentlemen, she is the only person in Mark's gospel who addresses him as Lord. Right? Um, one more. One last one. This is a little bit of, a lot of quotes on this one, but it's so important just to see again and again and again how well this woman is revered. Dale Brunner, and he speaks a little bit more in the Matthew side of, of this. He's commentating more on the Matthew version. He says, um, in, in the Matthew version, we'll read this in a, se- in a second. Your faith is great, right? He paraphrases, your faith is terrific, right? And then he says, the word terrific is emphasized in the original by being placed at the beginning of the phrase. So, you know, she says, um, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then Jesus almost shouts. He says, terrific, right? Your faith, terrific. So he kind of puts that terrific or that great or that wonderful at the beginning of the phrase. That's like his initial response. The woman is honored here no less than three times with a very personal, your faith. Let it be done uh, for you exactly as you want. After an initial silence and two hard sayings, now a triple kindness. In Jesus' opinion, she is a great person 
in one of the few forms in which Jesus seems willing to recognize human greatness. Her faith is great. Terrific. Again, in this kind of theme that Mark develops of seeing and hearing, everybody, I just couldn't, I just was like, wow, everybody just, just praises her and says how wonderful, how terrific, how great. And again, just going back to this one, the heroine of Mark 4, 1 through 8, the one who sees, the one who understands, the one who hears. So um, that's the big uh, movement in the book of Mark. Let's go then back to Matthew. If you've got a Bible, you're going to go to Matthew 14. And I want to read that one. Then we're going to read a teaching and a challenge. And if somebody just wants to read that one. So there's a lot of similarities, and there's a couple different pieces here that are happening in the Matthew version, um, and I, I just want to kind of point one out, or just a few, um, and a lot of this, there's a, there's a fantastic book, it's called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, by a guy named Kenneth Bailey, Kenneth Bailey, um, this whole book is just phenomenal, Kenneth Bailey lived in the Middle East for I think 30 or 40 years, kind of studied Aramaic. Um, just kind of study the culture and so as he writes a commentary on it really just kind of brings out a lot of that um, understanding from his commentary so I was reading this uh, I was I was reading this uh, either this week or last week I have a funny story about this and I, um, so I'm reading this this commentary and <laughs> you smell it <laughs> I read this commentary. I'm sitting at the kitchen counter, and we have to go somewhere, right? My wife's like, my wife's like, like Eric, come on, like, like put it away. We got to go somewhere. I'm like, Robin, my mind is being blown right now. And then she says to me, she's like, What are you gonna fall out of your seat? <laughs> I guess I say that a lot. And then she was like, she was like, you know, it's like, What are you gonna fall out of your seat? And I'm like, I might fall out of my seat. This is just like unbelievable right now. Like my mind was expanding at the very moment, and I was like, What? So anyway, this, again, Kenneth Bailey's whole commentary is phenomenal. And then my mind was blown. I, I almost fell out of my seat, just to kind of get that out there. Um, Bailey calls this, um, he calls it a teaching and a challenge. He's, he's given this woman what he says is a tough exam, right? And he says um, that tough, uh, Bruner says, tough exams are not negative, not necessarily negative put-downs. And Jesus gives people all throughout the Gospels, he gives them tough exams. 
um, the man who's invalid for 38 years, right? Remember the guy who's in John, who's laying at the pool, and Jesus comes, walks up to him, and he says, uh, do you want to get well? Right? And imagine hearing that. You've been laying at the pool, right? And Jesus looks at him and says, do you really want to get well? That's tough to hear that, right? There's another narrative where there's a beggar in Luke 18, and he's like, are you really interested in being healed? Um, there's the rich young ruler in which he looks at him and he loves him and he says, um, he says, I need you to go sell everything that you have, right? So again, the, this tough exam that he's about to give to this, to this woman, it's just not necessarily a negative put down. So he's really going to challenge this woman, but he's also at the same point, um, what's different in Matthew is his disciples are present here, right? His disciples are present in this, in this, in this one. And, um, in, in the Matthew version, as Bailey lays it out, he kind of lays it out in this three-scene dialogue, right? In verse 23, she comes and she begs Jesus, right? I'm sorry, and she begs Jesus, right? She comes, you know, have mercy on me. My daughter's, you know, sick or has, is possessed by a demon. And then in verse 23, Jesus, notice Jesus is silent. He doesn't answer her, right? And in the silence, then the disciples come and are urging him begging him, just, Jesus, just get rid of this person, right? She's not in the loop. She's not part of us. She's an outsider. She's a Canaanite. She's daughter's demon-possessed. Just get rid of this woman, right? And so Bailey says there's a three-scene dialogue that Jesus is irritated by the disciples' attitudes regarding women and Gentiles, right? The woman's love for her daughter... And her confidence in him, in Jesus, impresses Jesus. She refers to him as Lord. She uses this kind of insider Jewish language. He's the son of David. She's begging for mercy. We talked about that um, rightless assertiveness. And then he decides to use the occasion. He's going to help her. But he's also then going to confront his disciples, the deeply rooted prejudices in the hearts of his disciples, right? So, I can only say it like, I, I keep using my hands like this, because as Jesus is, as Jesus is addressing this woman, right, he's going to address this woman, but again, say you guys will be the 2, 4, 6, 8, 11, John, you'll, you'll be the 12th disciple, right? He's also kind of like, addressing his disciples at the same time. And that's why I think this passage can be a little bit tricky to understand because Jesus is both addressing this woman, right? He's challenging this woman. He's giving her a tough exam. But then he's also at the same time teaching his disciples, right? So I'm going to fumble through this. Here's, here's the way that I want to explain it. And then I'm going to uh, end by, um, by going back to Bailey's commentary because the, the, I'm going to read a portion of his commentary this is the part that I almost fell out of my seat that blew my mind, but I think I need to kind of under, explain it a little bit for us in, in like a modern day term, okay? So in a modern day term, right, Jesus got his 12 disciples, right, southern boys, church-going boys, kind of religious boys, but he notices something off in his disciples, right? Something that needs to be called out in his disciples, he hears the prejudice, right? He hears a little bit of innuendo towards minorities, right? Those people, you know, people from the projects, people from welfare. Um, so Jesus kind of is just picking up on 
the disciples, prejudices, you know, just the way that they think about minorities, those sorts of things, right? And so Jesus says, okay, we're going to go on a field trip, right? I'm going to take you guys to a ghetto, to a housing project, to really like a low-income African-American, what we would maybe call a hood, right? Jesus says he's going to do that, right? And as Jesus is going through, right, as he's taking his disciples to this place again, he hears all the kind of rumblings, the behind-the-back stuff. He's hearing all that stuff. He says, okay, we're going to go deal with this. So Jesus takes him to this place. And here comes an African-American woman who is who's begging Jesus to heal her daughter, right? She comes and she's begging Jesus to heal her daughter. And let's just let's just kind of I, I hope I really hope that this is this is helpful and not hurtful. Um, let's just say that this daughter is sick, right, and she's deformed or has issues because the mother was doing drugs during the pregnancy, right? So this woman comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, please heal my daughter, right? Jesus has got his disciples around him. She comes and begs, and she's begging, please, Jesus, heal my daughter. Jesus doesn't address her. And the disciples' response is, Jesus, get rid of this woman, right? See, this is the problem, is is these people, they're the ones, get rid of her. It's her fault. She was on drugs during the pregnancy. You know, she's she's the one that brought this upon her. Jesus, we have bigger things. We have more important things to do, right? So remember, Jesus is dealing with a woman, and he's going to start teaching his disciples, right? The disciples come and say, send her away. Get rid of her, right? So Jesus then, right, she, she's begging him, doesn't say, any, doesn't say anything. Then Jesus, okay, so here's where things get tricky, right? Then Jesus says something really, really challenging to her, right? And he says, you know, I'm, only, I'm not really here for you. Uh, and then he, maybe then Jesus, <laughs> maybe then Jesus would say something along the lines of, um, he says, you know what, you know what, he's speaking to the woman. He says, you know what, it's really not right for me. I've come here for the other reasons. It's really not right for me to toss all my good works, my words, my teachings to you. And maybe he says the N-word, right? He, he refers to her in that way and calls her that, right? Now, again, maybe in the, right now you're like, oh, boy, that's like really good. But think about calling a woman a dog. That's what he calls her. It's not right for me to take my bread and toss it to you dogs, right? It's not right for me to take my bread and toss it to you words, right? And she responds to him in that. She said, I, okay, I know that that's what I am, but even us dogs, N-words, even us, we can, we can have some of those crumbs. We can have a little bit, right? Remember, say it again, Jesus is giving her a tough exam. He's teaching his disciples. Now, here's what he's going to use the occasion to help her and confront the deeply rooted prejudices in his disciples. Here's where I almost, again, where Bailey's comment on this was so helpful. Because again, now you're starting to feel like the tension in the narrative, right? Has Jesus maybe refers to her with this, this slur, this put down, right? And, and again, the disciples are present. The disciples are the ones saying, nah, get rid of this woman. We're not here for her. She, she's not part of us, right? Here's what I was reading that I almost fell out of my seat. Um, Bailey says it like this. Okay. Jesus chose 
Jesus chooses to take the theological attitudes of the disciples and he presses them to their ultimate conclusion with a reductio ad absurdum, right? Which means a reduction to the absurd, right? In effect, Jesus is telling his disciples, he's, again, he's saying, yeah, you guys would actually be really happy if I just got rid of this woman, wouldn't you? Right? My ministry is not here in Tyre. It's not here in Sidon. My ministry is not for the, the ghettos, not for the, the housing projects. That's not why I've come. I've come for bigger things. And he's teaching his disciples because this is the attitude that his disciples have, right? And Jesus says, very well, I'll verbalize where your theology, where your ideology leads us. This will give you a chance to see, to observe the response of this unclean, this Gentile, this dog, this, this inward woman, right? Let's, let's see this. We're going to press into this, right? And Bailey continues on and he says this. He says, Jesus here, he's going to give concrete expression. This theology, this ideology of his narrow-minded disciples who want this woman sent away, dismissed. The verbalization is authentic to their attitudes and feelings, but shocking when put in words and thrown into the face of a desperate kneeling woman pleading for the, the sanity of her daughter, right? And then this last paragraph was, was really what struck home to me. He said, it's acutely embarrassing to hear and see one's deepest prejudices verbalized and demonstrated. Jesus was voicing and thereby exposing <coughs> deeply held bigotries buried in the minds of the disciples. As that happens, one is obliged to face those biases often for the very first time. Right? So again, we think that a lot of times in this passage, Jesus, oh, she's a, you know, you're a dog, you're under the table, you're this. Okay, she, he's challenging this woman. But again, with the disciples present, right? He's he's actually drawing out from them, right? He's saying this is really where your attitudes, your thoughts, your feelings are going to lead us, right? And so he uses this again, like it's really uncomfortable for us to even think about Jesus maybe using the like the N word or something like that, or, or a racial or a put down or a slur. But Jesus does that in order, right? to expose the disciples. He's exposing their bigotries, their, their, um, their prejudices, right? So again, as we think about this, he's challenging the woman, he's teaching his disciples that he's doing that. I don't know, I've never seen that. Bailey, when Bailey said this, this again, I don't, maybe you're ready to fall out of your seat. I was ready to fall out of my seat. Um, it was so very helpful for me to think about this, to kind of understand this. Um, and I just was like, and that's why Jesus is the best just he, he does that and, and i was like wow jesus you were doing that you were teaching you're challenging this woman you're teaching your disciples all of this this woman gets it she's the heroine all of this in a very like six verses seven verses right so that's the end of the sermon let's talk about it um if you wanted to reflect from last week's teaching um again that quote from gombas marks developing this dynamic um Again, whether they and we are faithfully paying close attention to Jesus so that we understand his true identity, the nature of his kingdom, uh, is there something the Holy Spirit might be prompting you toward, right? Because again, the idea here is 
that we have blind spots that we're not paying attention to. The disciples did as well, too. But maybe you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you towards something. Um, and then if you want, I can shuffle back through those quotes. Edwards, uh, Meyer, Keller, Gombitz, Bruner. Something in there that you resonated with. Um, have you ever seen words, and I just kind of said this, like, thrown in someone's face. And then it's kind of forcing them to face those biases. I think that's what Jesus is really doing. He's giving, referring to her with this ethnic slur. And it's again, it's being thrown into his face, into the disciples' face, to really make them face their biases. Maybe you've seen that happen. Uh, maybe you've experienced that at some level. Um, and then just lastly, we spent two weeks on this Canaanite woman. Again, I think very rightfully so, as she is the heroine of all these chapters. Maybe a big takeaway from that was so. That should be enough to talk about. Yeah. Is this yeah. the first time that the same story slash six, seven verses are in two different like There's a lot of overlap between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It like I was reading the same thing, and I've never felt that before, reading, jumping around the Bible. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, but there's always kind of different little different pieces that maybe the, the different perspectives that they might have have um i've heard it said that maybe a good analogy would be if you were if you were driving down the freeway and there was an accident and the police officer were to interview different people around the scene about that accident different people might pick up different things about that accident somebody looking to the right might be saying well he was on his cell phone that's why he crashed and the person in front might be saying, well, he was going too fast. So that's why he crashed. And the person maybe from behind said, that guy hit his brakes really quick. And that's and so all of these things are true, but different perspective. Matthew would pick up one. Mark would pick up one. Luke. John's kind of his own his own deal with, with some different texts. But, um, yeah, it's kind of like that. So Matthew's going to pick up some different things. going to emphasize some different things. Mark, Luke, on, on the overlap of their stories. So good question. Sound good? All right, take a few minutes, and if you want one of those quotes, um, just let me know, and I'll, I'll, I'll rifle back to one of those if, if that's helpful.